and welcome back to another episode of Watch Once Never Again. I am your co-host, Mary Beth. And I'm Dax. Hi, Dax. (laughs) And this episode, we are talking about Michael Haneke's Funny Games, both the 1997 release and the 2007 remake. And why are we talking about both of them? Because they're literally the same movie, like shot for shot remake, like a shot for shot remake. And so it would seem silly to us to talk about them separately because it's the same violence, same pretty much the same dialogue. So I think it would mm. it would be silly to dedicate two separate episodes to these movies. Agreed. But Dax, do you want to let us know what happens in Funny Games? I do. From IMDb, it says two violent young men take a mother, father, and son hostage in their vacation cabin and force them to play sadistic quote-unquote games with one another for their own amusement. Yeah. That one's about right. That one is about right. (laughs) It is very much about right. So like everything about this movie is absolutely hard to watch. Like nothing about this movie is fun. And yet we love this movie, which is hilarious. Again, talk to our therapist about why. (laughs) But this movie is like probably, I would think it's like the movie you think of when you think of Haneke. That's the one I think of when I think of Haneke. For me too. Mm Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is just an absolute, like, horrendous emotional ride of torture and exhaustion and sweat and just pure. So much sweat. So much sweat. They're Um, very sweaty. And I thought it was interesting. I never noticed it before. But in this rewatch, I noticed that the dad says it's like super hot. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was watching the one the 1997 version. Me too, because was it for the same reason the little ass kid is wearing fucking overalls and it's so hot? No, it was when... um, Oh, just me. The blonde one was sweating a shit ton. Yes. (laughs) Just that was how I noticed it. So sweaty. So let's just jump right in to funny games. I wish we could play the music. Oh my God. So this is amazing. From the trailer. Oh my gosh, yes. The music from the trailer. Yeah, it's I, so good. I thought you were talking about the opening. Actually, I'll edit the I'll edit in the music from the trailer. I'll put nice. that in. Hello. Sorry to disturb you. I'm staying next door. Please come in. Wow, that's a really great set of clubs. Mr. Farber. What? Ah! You want to call someone? An ambulance or, or the police? Why are you doing this? Have a seat, please. <sighs> I'm Paul. We're going to make a bet now. You bet that you'll be alive tomorrow at 9 o'clock, and we bet that you'll be dead. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch the tiger by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Why don't you just kill us? You shouldn't forget the importance of entertainment. You shouldn't have done that, Anne. Ha <laughs> 
awesome, really, really. The intro music is also very good. I love it. When it goes from like them, okay, which is the most bougie shit. They're like, which classical musician is this and what are they playing? Of course it's that one, but what song is that? Oh my God, I know. I was like, Um, gag me with a spoon. Basically, unless we differentiate both of like those scenes happen in both movies, just so everyone knows, like unless we say, oh, in the 2007 version, the scenes are exactly the same in both Mm -hmm. movies. Um, And then all of a sudden it goes to like funny games, big red letters and just metal music. And it's just. Yeah, my sister used to like that band. I think I want to say they were called Naked City. Huh. Cool. Fun fact. Fun fact. That I just pulled out of my ass. So. Don't at me if it's wrong. And then we it, it gets into the violence and like and it gets into the funny games very quickly, which kind of reminded me of The Strangers, Brian Bertino's yes. film from the same year, um, from 2007. And how it's like you're kind of just thrown into the middle of the violence and the, these people, there's no explanation. There's no like motive really given. They joke about a motive, but it's not true. And so it's just like acts of violence for entertainment for these two these two young men. So it got a lot of strangers vibes. And I can only imagine that Haneke probably took some cues from funny games. Um, or you mean he... Bertino? Yeah. <laughs> Haneke definitely <laughs> did. Haneke definitely did. That bitch made the same movie. This is his version of a home invasion movie. Yeah. Emphasis on his version. <laughs> you know what I love about the beginning of this movie? I mean, I do love that. I love that title card. I think it's perfect, especially with the uh, metal music behind it. But after that, I love when they see their friends and they stop for a second and they're like, hey, are we still on for the stupid golf game in the morning? And the friends are like really stiff, you know, and they're like, "Uh, yeah. And then they're like, didn't you talk to them about the golf game or whatever the hell they say? Um, I love that because you can see Peter and Paul, quote unquote. We don't even know if those are their names, but you can see them with their neighbors, right? I love that because it takes, it's later on that you realize, oh, those aren't their nephews. They're, they're, they're going to kill them. Yeah. And it also like, it's a weird vibe. Uh, it automatically places that weird vibe of like something is yeah. just like a little off. Like something so is unsettling. Very, yeah, very unsettling. Um, and then the eggs, the fucking the eggs. fucking eggs. So and every time I want it to change, like I'm like, oh, he won't drop them. So okay, Peter. So Peter comes. This is how they basically get people. They say, oh yeah, you're na- you saw me with the neighbor, and they need to borrow four eggs, like mm-hmm. the most polite, like normal shit, and gets the eggs. Drops the eggs, needs to get more eggs, dog attacks, drops the eggs, gets the last four eggs, and then things just go downhill. And it's all, I mean, it's all over some eggs, but they know what's going to happen. Like Peter and Paul, they know exactly what's going to happen. And that's what starts off these funny games is the destruction of an entire carton of eggs, which is so mundane and weird. It's wasteful. And again, I feel like um, that's, Haneke being like they can afford to waste these isn't that stupid and you know what got me this time they also 
waste the dog food because they put all of the egg remnants in the dog food bowl. And as a dog owner, I don't know if you have a dog, dog food, that shit racks up. I have cats and one of my cats is gluten free because he's an asshole. And oh that, my. Sh- that shit racks up when you have is to he get a him- barista. <laughs> no, he's just a weird old man who has gut issues, I guess. But that shit racks up. Yeah, it does. Like you don't want to waste any bit of that food. Yeah. So I, I, for me personally, and maybe I'm looking too far into it. I always think, oh, that's so wasteful. It just goes to show they can't. And waste things, and it's all a joke to Haneke. Yeah, it is mm, interesting. I huh. maybe maybe it's just some eggs, and it doesn't mean anything. Who know? It's Haneke. Who the fuck knows? I could be making it up. I don't know. <laughs> There's just so much to say that I'm having a hard time figuring out where to start. I know it's like you know a I little mean? bit daunting. Well. How- Fun facts. And by fun, I mean just facts. Okay. Okay. So um, this movie, like most of Haneke's movies, premiered at Cannes Film Festival. Did you read that one third of the audience walked out of this movie? No, I did not know that one third of the audience walked out of this movie. I'm not surprised. A third of it. Oh, me neither. But that's like the thing with Can too. I think like a lot of directors, there was someone yeah. who made a movie and people booed and they were like, we wanted people to boo. Like it's all about Can. It's like if they cheered and did a standing ovation or if they booed and walked out, like people want those really intense reactions in their movies. It was. That sounds so familiar. I feel like that was probably Darren Aronofsky. I'm making that up, but I feel like it probably was. If it's right, everyone listening owes me $10. Oh, no, it was Crash. It was Crash. The Cronenberg movie where they fucking car wrecks. Crash. David Cronenberg? Yeah. So not the racism movie? No, not the racism movie. The movie where everyone has sex, like in car accidents and car accidents turn them on. And J.G. J.G. Ballard, who wrote the initial story, was like super impressed with the movie. And Francis Ford Coppola, who was a judge, was like, I'm not voting at all because this movie is trash. And they were so excited about that reaction. Like Cronenberg was elated. Well, now I owe everybody else $10. Pay up, bitch. No. (laughs) Have you seen have you seen Crash? We should talk about Crash. I never have. You know what? I'm I don't have a lot of experience with Cronenberg films because oh. it triggers me so badly. It triggers my OCD really badly. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes but sense. I, I'm still going to watch it though. I'm going to watch them for the pod. For the podcast. Remember, do it for the vine. Do it for the podcast. <laughs> do it for the pod. Do it for the pod. Anyway, um, back to funny games. <laughs> <laughs> a third of the audience walked out at Cannes. Yeah. I don't know this for sure, but that seems like he would th- take that as a compliment. Oh, 100%. 100%. For sure. Um, another thing about funny games is it was not intended to be a horror movie. What was it intended to be? Fuck if I know. He probably thought it was a comedy. I've seen it talked about as a dark comedy, and I never got... No, none of it made me want to laugh. Interestingly... 
I find the um, remake to be a dark comedy, but the original not to be, even though they're the, the same movie. And I actually have a note about that because interesting for some reason, and maybe it's the language barrier, for some reason, Arno Frisch and Michael Pitt, both in character in the original and remake, they play Paul, who's kind of like the ringleader. And Peter is yeah. more like his follower. Mm-hmm. For some reason in the original movie, I find Arno Frisch's Paul to be like extremely off-putting to where I would I would possibly be afraid of him. He has very black eyes, in my opinion. Yeah. And maybe this is my bias. I find him a little bit attractive outside of his physical appearance. Uh, like, I think he's more funny. But again, maybe it's a language barrier. Maybe I'm missing, like, the intonations and stuff in the original. So I actually took a note that I liked... Michael Pitt and Brady Corbett as Peter and Paul a little bit better. And I, I think what was really, I think what got me was how similar they looked. I think like they had that creepy twin vibe. And I think Michael Pitt had a, like a, a more playful tone. And again, this could be because it's, it's in English, but he had a more playful tone that scared me more, I think. And Mm -hmm. in the 1997 version, it like Arno felt like, it felt more like a weirder power dynamic to me. I think it was because they look so different, which is strange. Mm-hmm. Like, but there was a power dynamic there that I think changed my perception of that movie. Also, like I know Michael Pitt and he's creepy as fuck. So that also might have played into it. I mean, I love Michael Pitt, but he's like a little creepy. He always plays like kind of creepy characters. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Brady Corbett is always in these like really disturbing movies too. I, what else has he been in? So let me flip my hair. He, you might remember him as the hot brother in 13 with Evan Rachel Wood. Oh, I haven't seen 13. I'm sorry. What did you just say to my face? I haven't seen 13. Oh my God. You would love it. I know. So he was, yeah, he was in that. He was in um, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was in Mysterious Skin. He directed Vox Lux. He did, yeah, I that I knew. It. And I liked Vox Lux. A lot of people didn't, but I liked it. I don't think I finished it. Mm, fair enough. You know what? I don't know if I watched that. I started it. The credits are like at the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely started it then. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I really like him. I think he's a really good side of villain. Like he's just so polite in such an off-putting way he's like you know you made me hurt you you must admit and he's so soft-spoken too my favorite moment one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is is the shot where the dad is on the chair and he's in the door and he's balanced like he's kind of he's resting his back against the door like the door frame and he With has the golf, the, club. the golf club Something about that. And he's like, can you please make me something to eat? And something about that it was so creepy and haunting to me. Just like so casually, like, hey, will you cook for me? And he's like, he's standing like a kid. Like, that's a very childlike stance of just sitting in the doorway like that. And it was just so calm and so terrifying. To me, that kind of spoke to entitlement as well. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm probably going to murder you. I told you to your face. Um, Make me a snack. That shouldn't change the fact that you should feed me. Exactly. Like, I deserve food. Up all night killing. Some of us have jobs. <laughs> Some of us 
have jobs. Sorry. It's just some of us have jobs. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up like the comparing the two Peters and Pauls because I was very much like thinking about that a lot watching these movies and like the subtle differences in performances and how it affects them, how the movie comes across. And it's interesting too that we Americans who are the target audience's own admission liked the American one better. Like, I don't want to give him that satisfaction, but I did like it better. Not like by much, but I definitely liked it better. Yeah, the two in the original, very off-putting. And I find Michael Pitt and Brady Corbett off-putting in a completely different way where they're somewhat alluring just because Michael Pitt is so gleeful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so in his element. You can really tell. Well, and especially like going from the like eggs and sitting in like the the kind of like the foyer when they really introduced the games and talking about the rules and all the time, like lying is not part of the rules. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, OK. And that's when you really are like, there's something there's like a ritual. There's a process to what is happening. Like there's a set kind of expectation for them about what's going to happen next. And they are sort of a stand-in for Haneke himself, right? Yeah. Like, the whole time, Paul is like, oh, like literally speaking to the audience, breaking the fourth wall and saying like, this is what you want, right? You want entertainment. Like, don't forget the entertainment value. And then, you know, Peter, he's like, he he doesn't speak to the audience at all or break the fourth wall. No. He talks to the family. And when they're like, you know, for instance, I think they say like, why are you doing this to us? He's like, you can't forget the importance of entertainment value. Like, you know, whereas like uh, Paul is like, this is what you want. He's definitely, definitely um, Haneke's stand in. Yeah. Which is terrifying. Well, yeah. And it's, it's because another, another example of how Haneke just fucking hates us so much. Like, I think he loves us, but he hates us more, you know? It's like, t- it's like tough love. Like, he loved us enough to make this movie for us. Yeah. He's like, what's your problem? And I'm like, what's your problem? <laughs> exactly. So Haneke, he claims to have wanted to make a message about violence in media by making a violent but pointless film. So. Do you think this film is pointless? I don't, this movie, well, I don't think any movie is pointless. Let's just, I'm going to be pretentious and say, I don't think any movie is really pointless, but Mm. I think if he wanted it to be pointless, he wouldn't have had breaking the fourth wall. I think in my head, like breaking the fourth wall is very much like you're trying to make a point. Like you want to acknowledge the audience. You want them to be aware that you're watching a movie. So I just, in his breaking of the fourth wall alone, I don't, I wouldn't consider this a pointless movie. Maybe nihilistic, yeah, but not pointless. Super, super nihilistic. Yeah. I, think, I think his, his purposeful pointlessness gives the movie a point. Yeah, exactly. And like that hope, like the pervasive hopelessness. He's doing the thing again. Like I said in Benny's video, he was doing the thing that he hates. He's going against his own idea. If he want, yeah, if he wanted it to be pointless, it would be a bunch of scenes strung together. 
I was going to say, like, especially if you if you say if you say outright, my movie is pointless. I feel like that means it's not pointless. You know what I, mean? I feel like if you if he was like part of your artistic statement. Exactly. Like you're immediately saying like, oh, actually, there is a point. Exactly. And and I think he makes too many jabs at rich people and people of privilege, which I have no idea what his background is. So I don't know if he grew up wealthy. I don't know if he grew up um, so, like in poverty or anything. I don't know exactly like socioeconomically, but I know his parents were like alcoholics or like not good parents. So he lived with his aunt because he had like very not oh. good family life. And his aunt raised him. That explains a lot. That's why he's always the like, man is angry. <laughs> fuck families and fuck them kids. That was actually one of my notes I wrote. Hannah Key said, fuck them kids. <laughs> fuck <laughs> them kids. Is the note I wrote in this movie. But in a lot he of sure his did. movies, he does not give a fuck about like taboos in film. Just because child death is always so like <gasps> death of a child. And in his movies, he's like, yeah, let's just watch him die in like really fucked up ways. Yeah, I agree. Except that you don't really see them die. You see the that's aftermath. true. And the, I guess what's more disturbing is the aftermath. Or like in so in Benny's video, there's the sounds, and then in the like in Funny Games, the son is shot with a shotgun, and the way they reveal that is the blood. Well, they reveal that something died because of the gunshot and the blood on the screen on a TV screen. But you don't actually know who dies because the camera is on Peter. Peter. No, Paul. God, I get them mixed up. The camera's on Paul in the kitchen making a sandwich, Mm -hmm. getting some cold cuts out of the fridge. And you hear the gunshot and you don't know who's dead until they basically until they're like, oh, my God, you shouldn't have killed the kid. There's not enough time. There's no more leverage like against them. Like you you fucked up the rules and then they just leave. Yeah, (laughs) they're like, yeah. And then even when they leave it, it it cuts to a wide shot of Naomi Watts and or Suzanne Lothar. The father and the son are laying on either side and you really can't tell who which one died. In fact, for a second, I forgot that I've seen this movie 50 times and I thought both of them were dead. I also thought both of them were dead. Interesting. This wide shot is my favorite part of the movie and it's also one of the most grueling parts of the movie. Like, this is the this is like a there's a, I feel like there's a big mm. shift in the shot because it then it's the the two boys have left and it's the the mom and the dad left. And this is when it gets like especially excruciating because they're dealing with the death of their child and trying to like figure out what to do next. And so the mom the mother's name is is, is Anna and Anna I don't know. I'm going to say Anna. Anna and so she is in her underwear. And her hands and feet are bound and she is trying to like the TV is on with a race, like a thing like a Formula One or like a NASCAR race. She's trying to turn that off to like have silence and like understand what's like process it. And she just goes into like crisis mode. Like I'm going to get a knife. I'm going to cut off the tape. And but it's slow. It's not like, OK, get up, go. It's like for a while she just sits there staring blankly into space like trying it's like she's trying to gather her thoughts process what's going on what the fuck and it's just like it's a long time and this happens in a lot of Hannah Key's movies like nothing is ever rushed it's like you are going to sit with the discomfort and you're going to sit with this emotional state and you're going to feel it 
like there's no like quick editing. There's none of that. It's like you have to sit with this misery. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say it's so long that if it were not for the race cars on that TV loudly like going and you can see it going. And it's really and it's like super hard to watch because you see like the bloody corpse of the child and his blood spattered on the wall and she's sitting right next to it. And it's just this like agonizing time. And then she tries to get up problem solved. And then the dad sits up and you're like, okay, he's alive. Oh, or you're like, oh, he's a zombie. (laughs) This becomes an entirely different movie. You're like, oh, okay. That wasn't funny. Stop it. Dax. (laughs) (laughs) But the dad sits up George and it's the most, and this is the next most excruciating thing. The sound that that man emits and Tim Roth as George, it is disgusting in terms of like the sounds are so gut wrenching and harrowing. Like you said, like he's wailing and Tim Roth in this movie in general is like, I actually um, have a fact about that. Ooh. So Tim Roth was so traumatized by filming this movie that he refuses to ever watch it. I would need so to, honestly. It's like, very likely that those, yeah, those whales, they're probably real. He said that the um, the child actor looked very much like his own son. Which, I mean, don't you feel like Haneke would do that on purpose? I do. But he also kind of looks like the kid from the 1997 movie. He does, but like, I'm not giving that man any credit. <laughs> As an actor, you have to, like, I mean, I don't know shit about acting, but, like, the things you have to tap into to make such realistic screams and wails and sounds that I've never really heard before on, like, it's really hard to watch. And that's, like, the thing with Haneke is his, the way he uses yeah. sound in general. Like, he, like the sound of suffering is mm. so gross in a good way, but it's nauseating. It is, yeah. Um, Suzanne Lothar apparently according to Haneke she would make herself cry for at least 20 minutes I read up to 30 minutes to prepare for them and um the scene you know that really agonizing scene where she's doing the prayer they're making her do the prayer apparently in I want to say it was the original it took Haneke or no it was yeah it was the original it took Haneke 28 takes she actually is not like acting at that point. She's super drained and like cannot continue. 28 takes? Are you 28. fucking kidding me? I would have been like, I gotta go to bed. Like, this is fucked up. Actually, like, leads us to like another question, a moral question aimed at Haneke. Like, are you abusing your actors at that point? Are you traumatizing them? What well, kind of mental distress are you causing? Well, exactly. And like, I, we mentioned this in the first episode about how a lot of actors especially female actors had a hard time working with him because of what he asks of you and i have a lot of feelings about the treatment of women in his movies and i think we'll kind of get to that in piano teacher more but it's like it's like he wants to evoke real emotion but at what cost because if so many actors like i'm traumatized from being in this movie like is that worth it i don't think to me as a person who has empathy and i don't know if haneke has empathy (laughs) like Jerry's still out. You can't, I just don't think you can like morally do that without being like, yeah, I know. Like he has to know what he's doing. Like justify it. Yeah. There's like, I just don't think there's justification for putting your actors through such duress, but like, okay. So here's the other thing though, that I just thought about 
the actors read the script like they know what to expect i guess but maybe but the other it's just i think it's so complicated and this is the thing with his movies is it's like again that kind of consent like weird consent boundaries that go beyond watching the movie but like being a part of the movie and filming animal death like they're consenting to the movie but they're not necessarily consenting to 28 takes of abuse you know what i mean like it's weird well yeah it begs the question like where's the line yeah they know they're signing up for this movie they know it's a michael haneke film and that he has other material that they can review in preparation for this movie right but they're putting themselves in his hands so like when you take that job you expect that you're not going to come out of it you know broken because it's fucking acting it's not real you know yeah that's how i see it anyway i'm not an actor i've never been an actor just from like interviewing performers i know that it's like you have to tap into some wild shit to do that so i can see how it's traumatizing in terms of the emotions you have to tap into to like get that performance so like they are pouring part of themselves and probably some of their experiences into it so like yeah it's acting but it's not any less emotionally taxing especially if you're you know any of these characters it's got to be like emotionally overwhelming especially to play the bad guys like whew. so mm-hmm. it's weird it's a weird situation but overall yeah. i think haneke shouldn't like i just think he probably asks too much of his performers i think yeah i don't know i, I don't know either but trust that you know, if one of the performers was so traumatized that he can't even watch it, if they're saying that, po- probably he went too far. But I think it's a really sticky question. No easy answers by any means. Yeah. And I think he wants it that way. Yeah. I just always, you know, like I said, with Benny's video, I find it almost hypocritical that he's pointing. He's in this movie. He is literally pointing at you and saying, you're a monster because you like this but like at what point is it like dude you're making it well that's the thing whether or not it's like for whether or not it's like cheeky you're still doing it it's like he takes it so far that he plays into what he's trying to like he thinks he's like disempowering the spectator and is like showing them what they like but then isn't he playing into that like playing into what he hates it's like it's so satirical that it's not satire anymore yeah, well, I guess the one thing that makes it super satirical in my mind is the fact that he doesn't always show the violence. He doesn't show a lot of the violence. You know what I mean? Like you expect to see these bloody, gory scenes, but a lot of it is like not shown and he wants to frustrate you, I think. Yeah, he won't um, give it to you. No. So I like, again, the slippery slope of what he's trying to do. Like I, there's just, he's a, he's a man of contradictions. <sighs> that's one way to say it. That's a <laughs> That's a kind way to put that. So I kind of want to move into, if you're okay with it, his whole thing about violence in media again. Yeah. Um, so this movie, it came out originally in 1997. And he said that he wanted it to be about violence in media. And I can give you some, just a little taste of what was going on in the media around this time. Okay. And possibly why he was so fucking mad. So right time in media, we had um, the O.J. Simpson trial in 1995. Um, Selena was also murdered in 1995. Um, Timothy McVeigh 
did the bombing in 1995. There was a bombing at the Olympics in 1996. Oh, yeah. Tupac and Biggie both died, were both murdered in 1996. Holy shit. JonBenet Ramsey was murdered in 1996. Um, and that's all I have off the top of my head. But what do you make of that? I put you on the spot. No, it's a good question, though. Like, I, it's it's like a bunch of answers in my head because, like, I I more see Benny's video as a little bit more looking at, like, society at large. I think in, ta- I think in Funny Games, because he's taking the home invasion horror trope, I think he's more talking about violence in cinema. Because and like the so like especially when they talk about the rules and like what we expect, like he's playing with the tropes of horror and what we expect, like the beats we expect from a home invasion movie. And Mm -hmm. I think that is that to me is what more what this movie is, is kind of like poking fun at what we want to see and like the death that we want to see on screen in horror and like how we're ready to like see these awful deaths. We're ready to see them happen relatively quickly. And I think he kind of just takes that expectation and shoves it in your face. That's how I read it, at least. Yeah, no, I I read it that way also. I also, just this rewatch, interpreted it more as like the home invasion. I, I agree. Like, it seems like it's kind of um, not up for debate that he is satirized a home invasion movie and like trying to subvert the tropes mm-hmm. you know um and and more so our reactions to the tropes yeah but this rewatch i was like it does seem interesting that this movie from that time when like all of those murders were in the news you know and like maybe the home was a stand-in for us or our homes and the news is more like the invasion, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. And that also kind of makes sense. Again, in- I could be reading into that too much. But again, who knows? Sanaki. But the yeah. other the other thing I was thinking about, like, was 2007. That's post 9-11 horror. Like yes. He- I mean, and home invasion became a huge like the strangers like home invasion became a huge trend because the domestic space was no longer considered safe. Like there was Mm -hmm. this destruction of ideals of family ideals where no one felt safe anymore. Like male confidence was crushed because like who could protect their families and these unknown invaders into your home? Like you don't know who they are. You don't know why they're there. And it's just like these random acts of violence. And I think it's probably purposeful. I mean, I know it's the 10 year and it's like 10 years exactly, but I think mm-hmm. it's purposeful in the context of 2007 and post 9-11 horror. Like it, that has to be part of it. At least that's how I interpret it. Like there's the context in which both of them were created are crucial. I, I think now the way you're talking about 1997 are crucial to the effectiveness of the violence and like kind of poking at what we expect and especially into the 2007 version with home invasion movies like he is fucking with your expectations again like you know you know home invasion movies like you know what to expect and he said oh but what if we make it a little spicy like what if we added a little spice and made it a little bit more like self-referential and more like looking at you and saying hey i know you like this shit so like let's talk about it or like let me like not even talk about it let me just like poke you in the eye with yeah. what you like to watch. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? I always thought it was funny that Funny Games 2007 came out 
Wasn't 2007 still around the like torture porn era? Yeah, it definitely like, torture was. Porn movies were still coming out at that point, right? Yeah. But this movie is, it just doesn't give you what those movies do. And yet this movie is much more in my opinion anyway, just because it takes such an emotional toll uh, in a way that those movies probably can't because they're just, you know, some of them, sure, and it's not that they don't have anything to say. It's just that this movie like really strikes a nerve. But I always thought it was interesting that the those kinds of movies were its contemporaries at that time. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like this is talked about a lot with like New French Extremity movies versus torture porn. And obviously New French Extremity is much like obviously gory, but there's more of an emotional weight to them and like a little bit more of a message. Because I feel like with torture porn, it's more mm-hmm. just like everything sucks. Like, let's just look at people falling apart. And like, we're all just like, you know, we're all falling apart. So like, let's just look at the gore and like think about torture and just like have a spectacle. And I feel like in these movies, yeah, it's spectacle, but like for a re- there's more of a purpose behind the spectacle rather than just being like nasty. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, obviously, some of the torture porn movies, they were trying to go for something, whether or not they needed a message either off i don't know but yeah i think that's definitely fair it, i i find it interesting how how much more violent this movie is than those movies yet we don't see the violence in this yeah. one so much but it feels more like an attack yeah to me anyway it does feel more like an attack and part of that is because he is literally us and our more morality I don't know. He has issues. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, He's a therapist. He's so angry. <laughs> like, to your point about, like, how much more violent and real it seems, there's this, another scene that sticks out to me, and it's, like, so mundane. It's when the dad, it's, like, the Anna has left, Anna has left to go find help. And George is just sitting at the counter with a blow dryer, trying to dry the cell phone out that dropped in the sink and he just takes a bite of a baguette. But in the, in the original, he eats it, but in the new, in the 2007, he spits it out, which is very, it's it's such a small difference, but it's very interesting. And like the disgust in 2007 version. And then like, he's like, I can't even eat. I'm so upset. Like, this is just too much, but it's such a mundane moment where he's like, well, I'm just sitting here. I should eat something. It's just so upsetting. It's just like, again, these small scenes, that are quiet are so like, they're just this quiet amongst the violence. And it's like, you're, it's like, you're trying to process alongside the characters and it's so much more upsetting because you really have to stew in what they're feeling and what they saw. And like Haneke does that really well. I will say it's not always my favorite because it sucks, but like he definitely does an amazing job and like making you really think about what just happened. Yeah. There's actually an interesting quote sort of related to that he said um the question isn't how do i show violence but rather how do i show the spectator his position vis-a-vis uh violence and its representation did i say that right i don't know but uh, what do you make of that yeah i would agree that that's pretty accurate i mean like it's interesting that he says representation because it's almost like there's not representation of the violence you know what i mean like it's almost like he's especially when you consider yeah that i'm sorry he's actually harming people and things yeah and it's like i guess in my mind we talked about this a little bit but like how he makes the spectator 
not look at what they want and kind of like makes them think about the representation of violence on screen and like what happens when you don't see it, I think. But I don't, yeah, I think he says the most about violence by not showing violence. Like, which is the kind of just like the, I feel like is the bottom line for a lot of his work. I agree. I actually find that a lot of the damage or the trauma isn't the violence. It's more yeah. psychological violence. You know, for instance, the, the one of the scenes that always sticks out to me is um, when they're doing like the quote unquote, like jelly roll inspection. Yeah. So that scene just really gets me. And in that scene, right, we don't actually see her naked. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you're talking about this. We see them seeing her naked. And she's surrounded by all men, including her son, who is a child. But he is a boy child. He just said that bag oh, over his head. Don't forget, kitten in a bag or whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah. You know what? He, I guess he isn't looking. Yeah, because they purposely say they don't want him to look. Like, the Peter and Paul say that. So they bag his head. Yeah. You're right. He is pointed towards her, but he is not. Yeah. Looking. You're right. I made that up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they're all looking at her and you're watching them truly inspect her. And to me, that like really gets me. How do you feel about I that? Was, I actually was going to say the same thing because it's an interesting kind of like inversion of the male gaze. Like there is the male gaze, but you don't get the satisfaction of look what they're looking at. You just get very drawn into like the actual act of the gaze of the men. And they're like very kind mm-hmm. of almost excited looks. And then and then cutting to her face of kind of like shame and embarrassment and of pain. But they only show her collarbone. And I I actually very I thought that was very interesting. I actually kind of like that in terms of like. Yeah. It's not titillating in that way. Uh-huh. Tit. You know, <laughs> it's like almost roasting. It's not roasting. It's more like indicting the males, in my opinion. No, I agree with like, that. On like sure. Anarchy's part. It seems like he's saying like, this is wrong. Why are you doing this? Yeah, that is really interesting. And like, this is terrible, but I have like no expectations from male directors to subvert the male gaze. And so it is kind of refreshing to see a, a director like Haneke confront that particularly in a horror adjacent film yeah and after you know that he said that the hierarchy of power with men being over women it's almost like do you hear yourself <laughs> like, like what are when you, you speak do you know what you're saying no Be- because on one hand self-aware and so not not feminist in necessarily but I think it's more progressive that like he, even in 1997, you, he, again, you're watching them watch her. And in that regard, like Michael Haneke is watching them watch her and Michael Haneke, his camera seems to be judging them. Right. Yes. But like in real life, he does think that men are above women at least in some sense. Maybe that's an old quote. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't feel that way anymore, but he said it. And since he did, I can comment on it. Yep. It's true. It is like, it is so, it is so complicated in the indicting this violence. You could playing into it yourself. It's weird. I like, but again, this gets to the mediating 
they were talking about Benny's video of like the male gaze of Haneke is being mediated by the camera and the gazes of all the other men on her. So, and like, mm-hmm. obviously the camera is kind of like dominating the gaze. Like it's the, it's the thing that determines who is being looked at and how, but it is mediating that for Haneke as a director, which is fascinating. Like, does he need to be this complicated or are we just fucking nerds? Probably both. I think both. <laughs> I definitely think both. Yeah. So if it's okay with you, I wanted to move into kind of talking about violence against women, especially in yeah. his films. Yeah. Um, so in this book, 90s Bitch by Alison Yarrow, she's quoting Newsweek, um, an article called Whip Me, Beat Me, and Give Me Great Ratings. And yep. But it's about um, Jep, like Jeps. Have you heard of Jeps before? No, I don't think I have. It's short. It's like um, executive lingo, woman in jeopardy in films. Oh, gross. I don't know if it's like, yeah, I don't know if it's a derogatory term or not. So I apologize if it is. But that is the term used in this article. But anyway, it says in at least half of the 250 made-for-TV movies in 1992, um, a woman was physically or psychologically abused. So keeping that in mind, this movie came out in 1997, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you make of Haneke's use of violence against women? Do you think he's commenting on that? I don't. I think it depends on the movie, honestly. I think I have a lot of thoughts about piano teacher and violence, um, but I don't think it's the same. To me, Mm -hmm. I don't perceive it as the same kind of thing as in funny games, simply because funny games, I think, is playing off of the expectation for like female violence and horror. And, you know, we all know that horror has kind of a rough track record with violence against women. And especially because she's a mother and there's just like this whole thing of breaking down the mother as a pure figure, debasing her. But like the one thing the husband gets abused physically is he gets his knee broken. And then she has to go through like getting naked, getting beat, getting like praying. Like she is the one that is subjected to the most violence without like not obviously her son is shot with a shotgun. So that's pretty fucked up, but like she is tortured. Like the whole family is being tortured, but mm-hmm. her body in particular is being tortured. And then she's thrown away like trash at the end when they push her off yep. the boat and they're like, bye, I don't want to deal with your shit anymore. And they just push her off the boat. So nonchalantly too. Yeah, it's, and it, it's, and again, like, it's when I, I say these opinions out loud and then I rethink it because like it's a common it's commentary, but also like it's not necessarily a strong enough commentary for you to really be like, is he actually like it's it's one of those things where like, is he trying to make a message about that? Or is he just like trying to convey violence against the female body because he can? I I truly don't have an answer. I know that's like such a cop out, but like I don't have an answer I because so. I don't really I don't know like I want to be like he doesn't like women but that seems so reductive especially in a film like a pi- the piano teacher <laughs> where I still think he hates women but like in a different way um <laughs> but I don't I don't know I think he infantilizes women yeah like for me in funny games I think that I think he's doing both things like I think he is saying 
saying this is what you expect from this kind of movie. The woman's going to get fucked up. But also, I think that he resents that. Like, it's not just like, this is what you expect, but he's like resentful of it. At the same time, I find that because he can't like subvert the male gaze, it's almost the violence against the women is almost a commentary about the uselessness of her husband. Like, I think that that's one of that's, if not totally what he's talking about, um, it's at least part of it. I agree. And like they, Peter and Paul call him captain. Like they give him yeah. that kind of title, title of authority, even though he has zero authority and the whole movie, he can't move. He's completely immobilized. He just sits there and watch everything happen. And then he apologizes towards the end. He's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and the sorry is for not being able to protect his family. The expected male role of protecting his, his wife and child. And I think that does factor into it where like, he is literally just like a lump on the couch the whole time. Like he just is there to witness like bearing witness to this yeah exactly and not for nothing also in the beginning he still doesn't protect his family right when he comes in when when peter and paul first get there with the eggs you know he comes inside and anna is like make them leave they're making me uncomfortable you know yeah and he doesn't do that he he chooses to believe the men You know, or at least not believe his wife. Right. He doesn't just trust that he should listen to her and like understand that she's uncomfortable and not ask questions. Just tell them to leave. And that kind of is the catalyst for the entire movie. If he had chosen at that moment to fight back, you know, before slap, like, first of all, he slaps. He doesn't hit him in the face like he doesn't punch him. He doesn't, you know, try to like become like the quote unquote like macho guy, right? He's he does like a light slap. I wonder how the movie would have played out if he had fought back a little harder. Are they banking on him not fighting back a little harder? Is that part of why they attack wealthy people? You know, like maybe they don't view them as like the uh the like alpha male. Yeah. I mean, like it could be all about like emasculating men and how we they've become soft, which is a weird, also a weird like comment on masculinity and how like men maybe aren't as strong as they were perceived. And again, in 2007, with the post 9-11 context, that was an anxiety about men not being mm-hmm. strong and not being able to protect things. So this is kind of plays into that in a way of like these privileged, comfortable people who don't have to worry about struggle, like don't know what to do when there's something like this, like slapping just seems like, Oh, I'm just disciplining a child, but it's like, no, no, no. Like these are guys are out for blood. And also like um, the reason he slapped him is because like he, he said, careful or I'll break your eggs, old man, or something like that. Yeah. Like he gets, he insults him and he's like, bitch. (laughs) He insults him. It doesn't matter how both collectively just treated his wife. That always sticks out to me is that he, the whole movie is predicated on he can't be the protector. And he, even when he could have been a protector, he still wasn't a lot of Haneke's work in these films that we're talking about for this miniseries, he's like taking jabs at privileged people, right? Yeah. So we talked about the eggs. Did you know that this movie 
is at least tangentially based on the case of Leopold and Loeb? No. Yeah. So, you know, do you know that case? Very vaguely. But for people who don't know, can you tell us, can you give us a TLDR? So this just says, this is from Wikipedia. So case boils to this. Nathan Frudenthal Leopold Jr. and Richard Albert Loeb, usually referred to collectively as Leopold and Loeb, were two wealthy students at the University of Chicago who, in May 1924, kidnapped and murdered 14-year-old in Chicago, Illinois. Illinois, so sorry to whoever cares about that pronunciation. So apparently they just wanted to carry out the perfect crime, and they thought that their like privilege and intellectual superiority, I'm doing air quotes, would be what got them off with a warning. He uh, So they got sentenced to life in prison. Good, bitch. Yeah. Fucking weirdos. <laughs> but I find that interesting, right? Because if, okay, if it is allegedly tangentially based on Leopold and Loeb, their whole reason, and they all but say this in the movie, right? They don't really have a reason. They just want to. Yeah, it's like a social experiment. Or they're just like, we're bored, we're rich, you know. Um, what do you think about that? Like, how, how does that play? Well, and it's interesting because they, they're not, there's no break. Like, they're going from house family to family to family. And it's it's like, it it's it feels random, but not really. It's like just people that happen to, like, live in that neighborhood. So obviously they're targeting this kind of person who has a vacation home and a boat and a pier and enough steak to last for a week, um, a fridge full of food. Mm-hmm. And it feels like maybe if he's taking that case and maybe being like, what happens if they don't get caught or what happens when this privilege goes rampant? Because so I was thinking about this and like the outfits they wear, if they're, it doesn't, it emulates that privilege, like the all white, like the fancy gloves. And like, especially in 1997, Peter's wearing these like loafers, like these, these kind of velvety loafers. And they focus a lot on. I have those. <laughs> and they focus on Paul's like brand name. I, really Converse's. Do have them. I believe you. But like his brand name. Yeah, and his very short shorts. His very short shorts. And Arno's very skinny legs. But the shortest and skinniest, like. There really is this like emphasis on the way they appear. And again, okay. And also when George changes into his boat shoes, I think that's so fascinating when they show him changing into his boat shoes and like the privilege of having one pair of shoes for the boat. But anyway, I digress. Um, as someone who lives in like a nautical to one, one pair for like the car, presumably yeah, like one as someone who came from like a not like a sailing loving place. Um, everyone wore boat shoes all the time. And I hate that a very visceral reaction to boat shoes. So when I saw them, I was like, really? Ugh. Yeah, because I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, which is like a big sailing town. And I hate sailing. And so like everyone like you could tell who was rich at school by who wore boat shoes to school like Sperry's. That was like a wealth indicator. At my school. Yeah, that's why I always wanted um, I always wanted uh, boat shoes. Really? I'm like, I know I made it when I had those. I still don't have those. That's so funny to I me. I think they're I, cute. I mean, again, growing up like that, I fucking hated them. But that's the context of which I live. Fuck, was I gonna say? But yeah, I think that is very interesting. And like the commentary, and like they don't comment on if 
those guys are privileged or not. But I think it is an assault on privilege and like a, a systematic destruction of an entire wealthy neighborhood. Like, I think it is like a systematic dismantling of privileged families and like death to the rich, eat the rich. That's what it feels like to me, at least. I always notice um, that they have like when Paul is where he's putting butter on like bread, like in the scene where um, they murder the child, um, they use the most expensive butter. They use right? the oh my God. butter. The Kerrygold. I also was like, always that is that good me. shit. That Kerrygold butter, that fancy ass butter. That's like double the price. It's like $6. I always think of that. I'm like, oh, he's using it so liberally. I love it. But you know what's interesting? I actually, I for me, I also think it's a little bit, and maybe this is unintended on Haneke's part, but I think there's something to be said about privilege on the side of Peter and Paul, right? Like, what if they had been Black, dressed the exact same way? People just automatically in, in that neighborhood, and we don't see any people of color at all. Um, in the whole movie, like with the, I mean, there's not that many people in the movie in, in fairness, I guess, but um, I need everyone to know I am not white <laughs> so I can say it. But I, I find it interesting that all of the neighbors, they immediately trust them. And part of that, I think, is because they're like, well, you saw me with your friends over there and they trust me. But I think another part of that is definitely how they look, how they present themselves. We don't actually know if they are rich, we suspect the only inclination that we get that they actually are the way they seem is that Peter says he has to take, he has to retake his Latin exam. Okay. But also they say that he's going to medical school. Oh, see, I didn't even catch that. I assumed he went to medical school based on the Latin exam. Cause I'm like, who else would need that? But then he said, like, we're talking about commercial business. So like, it's like, he switches his story. I read it as he switches his story and he's like, I'm pretending to be like a college boy, but an act like I, Oh, that's how I perceived it. See, I didn't even catch that, but I could have read it. Like again, could have watched it, it could wrong. go either way. Really? Yeah, exactly. Because everything's a lie. They, yeah, lie exactly. the they, they lie the whole time. They don't even stick to Peter and Paul all the time. No, like, and they're always names for like Beavis and Butthead. Tom and Jerry. Yep, always names from yeah. TV shows. And like Peter, Paul, and Mary. That's like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it, it's everything is like a pop culture reference. There isn't like any authenticity. Yeah. And like their entire outfits are constructed. Like their entire persona is constructed and they know that. But yeah, this movie, I don't think this movie would be possible with like, any other person besides a cis white man, it wouldn't have worked. Or I think it could have worked, but it would have taken so much more effort. That's true. That's a good point. I do want to see a home invasion movie where women do the home invading, but like not for any other knock, reason. Knock by Eli Roth. Oh, really? I haven't seen that. Okay. Is it good? No, it's like free fucking pizza. Oh, you don't know that. Watch it and let me know what you think. Oh, the Eli Roth movie. Oh, the, the, that's, uh, the that's a Keanu Reeves line. movie. Yeah, Ke- Keanu Reeves. He says it like with his whole chest. He's like, it's like free fucking pizza. Like, freaking out. It's uh, a delight. Anna DeArmas is in it. Isn't that so weird? She's blonde. Wow. Well, I want to make a good, I want to make a good home invasion movie. I was going to say, it took me over a year to realize that it was Anna DeArmas. And I like woke up, like I sprung <laughs> out of bed. And I went to Twitter. I was like, oh my God, I just realized this thing. 
Well, listeners, if you know of any female dominated home invasion movies, let us know because I want to watch them. I mean, I guess in the strange, like the strangers technically is two women and a man, and the man has like nothing to say other than wearing like a sack on his head. So look, I could I could count that, but I just want to I do want to see all women. And like not for revenge. Like I love revenge movies, but I just want to see like some women fucking shit up because they wanted to. Yeah, for no reason. These movies, like, this is why I'm glad we're talking about it. Cause like these movies are so much more complicated. Like, obviously I knew it was complicated watching it, but like talking it out, it's so much more complex. Yeah. You you watch it and you have your interpretation and you're like, this is what this is. And then I you you talk to someone else and they're like, Oh, I see it this way. And you're like, shit, that just recontextualized the entire movie. Right. And now I don't know what's real. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why it's like, oh, discussing these things. It's so much fun and like disarming and just, but in a good way. (laughs) It turns out cinema is complicated. Film. Film. Uh, so do we want to, oh, also I was going to say, uh, this is my first time seeing both funny games. So pew, pew, pew. Which one, uh, did you, had you already seen? None of them. You never watched either one? Mm-mm. That was a story I was going to tell you. I saw the commercials for the movie and I was like, I, like, there was a time in my life where like, I couldn't handle gore or like fucked up stuff. Like I loved horror, but I couldn't handle like super gory stuff. Very interesting. Right. It's weird. I used to hate gore. Here I am. Um, But I saw the commercial for the movie and I was like, this is too intense. I can't I can't do it. And this is when I was young, like right when the movie came out in 2007. And then I just like never saw. And then it was just like it was something that was like on my radar, but I never watched it. And here we are. Well, it is very intense. So you're uh, you're I don't know, intuition. It was correct. And now I just am better. (laughs) It's very intense. It's better. I'm better equipped to watch it now. But um, so would you recommend these movies? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for me, especially the American remake, this movie by, again, by Haneke's own admission is for American audiences. I think the American remake is weirdly funnier um, in the like the bleakest way. But also, I think it hits harder. It, it's in the language of the people that it's yeah. yelling at, you know, so we can fully understand everything that it's it's trying to convey to us um i also if anyone knows michael pitt i would like to kiss him just once um i love naomi watts so i i love brady corbett i love tim roth i think they're all fantastic in this movie definitely recommend it i and that's not to say i wouldn't recommend the original i like the original as well and i would definitely recommend that they're all um great in that but in a more off-putting way that makes it, uh, if you're someone who's never seen them, possibly a little more watchable because it feels so, they're both mean-spirited, but that one feels, it's hard to even yeah. put a word to it. I know what you mean. And it's, it's so, so dark. It's so weird because they really are the same movie. It was like some small differences, but it's interesting that he was able to create the differences into like shot for shot remakes of the movie. And despite it's possible pretentiousness, like with the overall message or it's hypocrisy, even I do think that this film has a lot to say. And I think it's worth hearing what it has to say. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. What about you? I definitely recommend it. Did you like it? I did. I loved it. I really did love it. I think 
the weird meta ending where like he rewinds and is like, you don't get the satisfaction of seeing a happy ending motherfucker. Like you thought you thought, and it's just a really interesting, like look at that home invasion genre, which I really love. And like I, the strangers is one of my all time favorite movies. So like seeing the strange, like where Brian Bertino got that inspiration. It's really interesting. It's nothing like I expected, but in a good way, I think I knew what to expect, but it, was worse than I expected. Like in terms of like the emotional toll it took on me. Like I texted Dax when I was watching mm-hmm. it. I was like, I don't like Hannah Key. This is too much. But I this was the third <laughs> one I'd watched this week. So I was like, but um that's the 2007 version specifically. But I think if you're gonna watch a Hannah Key, you should watch funny games for sure. Yeah. It's definitely scary. I don't know what he was thinking not making it a horror movie, but it it is pretty scary especially the first time you see it i consider all of his movies horror movies in different ways (laughs) so that has been our episode on funny games 1997 and 2007 thanks for listening everyone please make sure to follow the podcast on twitter twitter make sure to follow the podcast on twitter at wona podcast that's at w-o-n-a podcast and then you can follow both of us on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. I'm at D-A-X-E-B-A-B-E-N. That is my name. That is that is your name. Um, make sure, like and subscribe. Not like and subscribe. This is not fucking YouTube. Make sure. I was just like, yes. Rate and subscribe. <laughs> Rate and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Leave a little review. Subscribe to our podcast. Let us know what you want us to talk about. So thanks for listening, everyone. And we will be back next week with, or not in, in two weeks with the Big Hipsy Tapes. I've made that executive decision. All right. That thanks. will happen. That will happen. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Bye.